Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. For the better part of the next three hours, I am your voice. This is Anthony Heron of Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Coming to you live from the Score Hyundai Studios on a Monday afternoon. Hope you had an absolutely marvelous holiday weekend. I know I certainly did. Had the had the siblings, all the siblings in town, which is a a rarity at times between uh, having a sister that lives down south, between a lot of my travels that go on. Had everybody in town, a bunch of the nieces and nephews around as well. All met up at my folks' house on a Saturday. So we had a had a great time out there. And then yesterday spent uh, spent some good time with the wife and the toddler on the actual 4th of July itself. And I, I feel like actually my, at least my recollections of, of being a kid, I actually thought, like, you know, going back when the taste was, like, too big. I'm sure a lot of you remember when, you know, at, for a while where the, the taste just kept ballooning up more and more. And the taste of Chicago used to actually be throughout the actual 4th of July holiday until it just it got too big and too expensive and started getting violent. And then the city made what I think was the right call and said, you know what, let's, uh, let's try to have the better part of valor here. Let's uh, exercise a bit of discretion and not have the taste going on throughout the actual 4th of July, but like as a kid, when my parents would bring us to the taste, it was actually, it was over the, the 3rd and the 4th of July, and my maybe, and text line, you can help me out here, maybe memory is not serving me adequately, but I feel like in the not-too-distant past, most of the fireworking actually took place on the 4th. Am I just remembering that wrong? Like I feel like the 4th used to be the day where, you know, obviously there were days leading into it, where everybody got all kind of amped up and, and had all their, their fireworking happening. If I can just, I guess I'm turning that in, into a verb. They're out there fireworking. Um, but I feel like it, it, it it's transitioned to the third being like the celebratory fireworks day and then the fourth obviously being the actual holiday. But I don't know. Well, that literally just popped into my head as I started talking. I don't know at what point in the past that transition happened or if, I just, if I'm just remembering that wrong or what. But I feel like it was the 4th of July itself that for so many years was the day that, that folks shot off the majority of their fireworks that folks were cooking and everything else. And then at some point over the years, it, it began to transition to the third. Like certainly the, the fireworks showcase that was at the taste itself. I remember that being on the third. So I don't remember, I don't know if that's maybe where the general public, the populace started to, to pay you know, closer attention to that. And then a lot of other folks started wanting to shoot their fireworks off on the third also. But at whatever point that took place, Fourth of July holiday weekend certainly has a, a different feel to it now than it did back in the day. And um, you know, when the, when the taste does return, I would imagine we'll probably go check it out again. Like I said, we had a nice weekend. Me and my family had a good time. We, uh, I actually probably the one of the biggest pluses for me individually from over the weekend was that I didn't do any grilling. Now I'm not I'm not one of these guys that like 100% of the time has to stand over the grill or that you know views it as this big you know sort of machismo outlet where I got to be the guy with the apron and the giant fork and the 
you know, the, the spatula and everything else and inhale smoke for the better part of anywhere from five to 15 hours. But I don't mind doing it. I, I do enjoy it. Admittedly, there's other people in my family who are better at it than I am, but it is something that I, I tend to get tasked with more often than not this year. That was not the case. So I viewed that as a plus because it's been a been a busy year for the kid and I, I didn't mind having the day where I could just kind of, you know, somewhat relax, but it, as much as anything, just kind of have at least some moments here where I, I did a few other things, paid attention to to the toddler and the wife and you know, the sister being back in town, all those kinds of things. The uncle came over. He handled the grill. He handled the charcoal text line. You don't have to light me up. I am pro charcoal, uh, but that does not mean, because I know in modern society, every time you say you're in favor of one thing, folks tend to assume it means you're downgrading the other. I'm not anti gas grilling. I'm not anti-propane, but I do prefer things that come off the grill via the charcoal. If you want to get kind of fancy, throw some wood chips in there, do your thing with that, don't have an issue with that. What I do take issue with is when you, you try to make some claims, like when you try to sort of Febreze your way through the charcoal taste. Like if you got a propane grill and you, you got the gas rolling, and then you try to, you know, whatever little packets of this or that that you throw inside the, the propane, throw in the gas grill to make it smell like or, or taste like there's charcoal. Like, you know, I'm going to throw my, my charcoal flavored air scents in there. Here's, here's my wood chip flavored barbecue sauce or whatever weird stuff some of you prof- propane folks are out there doing. Just be proud of your propane. I'm going to be a propane guy at some point. I'm not there yet. It's not a point in my life I've gotten to yet, but there will come a time where I'm a propane person. Again, I don't mind propane. Got nothing against gas, but I just prefer charcoal. So you can save on the text line all your different gadgets and gizmos and recipes where you're going to try to claim that it tastes exactly like charcoal, even though you're not using charcoal. I don't buy it. Don't believe it. There's no way in the world that I believe that's actually a, a legitimate thing. That being said, no fireworks for me this year either. That was, uh, th- I haven't necessarily drawn a line in the sand here on fireworks. It's just been a few years. I think it pretty much kind of goes in line with like my son's three years old. It's probably been like, I mean, I saw fireworks over the weekend. Damn sure heard them <laughs> all throughout the city. There might be still some going on outside my window right now. It feels like that was never ending throughout the weekend. But I didn't light any. And I, it's probably been a few years since I lit some. I, I, don't, I don't remember, like, the line of demarcation from the last time. I actually took a, you know, grabbed somebody's lighter or, or a match or something and actually lit a firework. But I feel like it's been a few years for me since the, the time that it happened. And I guess it probably goes in line with my son. And not necessarily, I mean, I think safety certainly probably has something to do with that. But I think as much as anything, just haven't necessarily prioritized it since he's been around, since the the three-year-old has been in our lives, between me and the wife. And, you know, sometimes we're here, sometimes we're out east with the in-laws, go to a big fireworks show somewhere and have just a a grand old time at it. Uh, But so this, this weekend, we didn't necessarily go to like an organized fireworks show, but it was hard to avoid. They're everywhere. They're in the city. They're in the burbs. They are, you know, there's sonic booms left and right. Uh, what, what I do appreciate is that 
my son is is still like in a cautiously curious phase about fireworks. Like I don't I don't want him to be afraid of them. I don't want him to be scared of fireworks, kind of like dogs. Like I don't I don't want him to be afraid of dogs, but I want him to proceed with caution. Is probably the, the best way I would say, and that's he's probably in a similar space with both things. One moment, daddy, I don't like fireworks. Next moment, daddy, I love fireworks. You know what? You're three. I'm okay with that ebbing and flowing. He, he hadn't made a final decision, but he, as long as he feels like it's not too close or too loud, then he tends to enjoy those, I suppose, in, in a similar fashion to his feelings on dogs. I, I think those probably parallel each other in a, you know, maybe somewhat of a, a productive way. Uh, Brandon Fryer is my producer. He's on the ones and twos for me over the course of the next three hours jam-packed show that we have for you today as I tweeted out just a few short minutes ago. So lots of topics we're going to get into today. Before I move on uh, to directly from the grilling, though, uh, Brandon, I am curious for you uh, as, a, as an adult male yourself, do you, do you tend to grab the, the baton of, of the grilling exploits on, on holiday time? Are you one of these people who just has to be standing over the propane, standing over the charcoal, putting all your own little sauces and everything over the grill? Or are you a little bit more nonchalant with your grilling? I'm, I'm definitely more nonchalant with my grilling. I have a confession to make, too. I'm not even the grill expert in my mm. family. My wife is a great cooker, and she actually okay. takes over the grill. So I, I don't complain <laughs> at all. So if my wife want to grill, it's it's all her. She can take it. She can do all the seasoning. She do everything just right. I just stand back and just make sure everything is right and, and tend to the kids. That's that's kind of okay. my role right now. Okay, I can respect that because I think what what ends up happening with a lot of guys, uh, especially like someone like me, who I I'll I'll certainly do a decent bit of cooking, but I'm no good at it. But you know, my family needs to eat, and on occasion, I'm the one doing the cooking instead of my wife. I admittedly am just not very good at it, but I do feel like there's a lot of guys out there who view the the grill as the opportunity to feel like they're not only providing like you know going out and hunting and gathering the food but you know frying it up in the pan or in this case frying it up in the grill as well you know bring home that bacon fried in the grill and I, I think that some you know there's some men out there who take that that sort of very specific pride in it and saying that you know what if I'm not really effective as a cook in the kitchen or on the oven or what have you that that the grill is where they take some kind of additional pride in doing that because essentially you can just take raw meat, throw it over an open flame, and then just allow it to burn to a certain extent where it's finally healthy for someone to consume it. So it doesn't necessarily take as much skill as what's happening in the kitchen. So that's that's where I get away with the grilling on occasion. Like I said, I'm certainly not skilled at it. I, I try my best because I'm a very patient cook. My issue is that the, the judgment on the charcoal, because, you know, like if I'm using somebody else's grill and they're one of these gas people, then I can gauge the flame a little more effectively. But if I'm in a position where I'm throwing some charcoal on there, I got to try to adequately judge the temperature of the coals on there. Sometimes it's a little too hot. Got to try to put it around the outskirts of the, the coals so you're not frying it too quick, burning something up. But there are certain members of my family who, who do like their meat burnt up, too, for whatever reason. Those things being said, is there's a little bit of trial and error that goes on on occasions. Yeah, I was just curious how you tend to operate. Uh, feel free to uh, to shoot me a tweet if you'd like, at Big Ant Heron, or fire a text off to me if you want to do that, too, because um, you know, we, we are going to dovetail certain portions of the discussion back into the holiday weekend as well. Like I referenced, 
jam-packed show. We're going to start off actually in just a few short minutes. I haven't talked last few times I've been here with you. You know, talk sort of in broader terms a little bit about the Bears. Been a few shows since I, I talked in, in some specificity about Justin Fields. And, of course, training camp for the Bears will open up later this month. And uh, one of my friends from out west, from the Pac-12 Network, a guy named Yogi Roth, will be with me in just a few minutes here. And is actually at one of the top passing tournaments in the country that many of you have probably heard of is, is the Elite 11. They just finished up uh, a, a class, a, a session, this past weekend, actually. Justin Fields was in competition in the Elite 11 when he was coming out of high school on his way to Georgia before transferring to Ohio State. And in that same class at the Elite 11 was Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence, of course, ends up being the number one overall pick in the draft. Justin Fields coming into this past college football season was the presumed number two pick in the draft. For whatever reason, somewhat inexplicably, he falls out of the top ten. Bears make the move. Ryan Pace goes, nabs him. Now your current Bears quarterback and future starting quarterback for your Chicago Bears is Justin Fields. But at that Elite 11 competition where Justin Fields was able to defeat Trevor Lawrence, as he did at the collegiate level as well, in a you know non-exhibition sort of format, Yogi Roth is one of the guys who's a coach at the Elite 11, good friend of mine, and I'm looking forward to that discussion with Yogi to allow you guys, who obviously and understandably are so interested in everything right now that makes Justin Fields tick. Yogi was really one of the one of the guys in the industry who got a really early look at that and had the opportunity to work with Justin Fields in that setting and in one of the times as an amateur athlete where Justin Fields was able to defeat Trevor Lawrence in a competitive setting. So you're really going to enjoy that conversation with Yogi. He can get very granular with the details about the the quarterback position, not only the the tangibles of it, but the intangibles of it that myself and and many other people have highlighted in in what separates Justin Fields from the previous Bears first-round quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. So you will definitely want to stay tuned to be able to check that discussion out. Also, because we will have both baseball teams in action today in Chicago, Um, Corey Provis is the radio voice of the Minnesota Twins. Another friend of mine, Corey, will be with us. Uh, later on in hour number two of the show here because this rivalry while the twins are at the bottom of the division at the moment but fireworks tend to ensue when the white Sox face the twins and we got another battle with them coming up uh, just a couple what about three hours from now and Corey Provis will be on the radio call of that matchup for the twins so appreciate him he's going to join us in a little while to preview that game and perhaps review a little bit of what we saw a few days ago and talk some Josh Donaldson and his heel turn and everything else so that's going to be a fun discussion with Corey and also later on in the show uh, the Olympic trials are now over we know who from all events will be representing the United States or actually I suppose there's one question mark that still lingers there from a track and field perspective I'm sure many of you have heard uh, what's been going on with the travails of Shakari Richardson. So Lewis Johnson of NBC Sports will be with me later on in the show as well. Do a little bit of an Olympic track and field preview and also get the latest on uh, what's been happening with Shakari Richardson and, and where that storyline will or perhaps won't end up going. Uh, and if you haven't heard that, we'll, we'll get some more details to you later on. But I'm sure many of you have heard what's been going on with the right now, the fastest woman on the planet and failing the marijuana drug test and everything else. So we'll talk some track and field later in the show as well. But for now, first time out, on the way here. We'll come back in just a few short moments and talk some Justin Fields with a man who coached him 
while Fields was still a high school athlete. The first time Fields took down Trevor Lawrence on the field, this man was working with him. We'll do that next here. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's getting better every day. I mean, uh, I've been in a situation like this before, and, you know, all I did was was was, was get better. So um, I, I feel like if you can control what you can control and uh, come to work every day with a positive attitude and uh, a want to get better, uh, then, you know, there's no stopping you. And um, I think when, you know, that time comes, when I do get my opportunity, I, I just have to be ready for that moment. Many of you know that voice well at this point. as the voice of Bears quarterback Justin Fields. He's discussing his preparation, his mentality, what he has been through in the past that he feels prepares him for what he is embarking upon in trying to become the best pro that he can be and part of what he went through in the past, part of that preparation that he has referenced a few different times since he has been here and, and addressed things with the Chicago media is the fact that he's been operating on, on as significant of stages as any amateur athlete can operate on up to this point. And frankly, he's thrived at pretty much every turn. One of those individuals that I referenced who has worked with Justin Fields in some of those moments in the past when he was still a very young man, high school athlete on his way to becoming a college football quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs and then famously with the Ohio State University Buckeyes, Yogi Roth, who is a a, a broadcaster extraordinaire, an entrepreneur, a producer, an author. He has done everything under the sun and also a football coach, a, a teacher of the sport. And he joins me now in the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. Yogi is on Twitter at Yogi Roth. Yogs, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I, I got a huge smile on my face talking to you. I'm glad to hear it always. Enjoy when we get to hang, whether that is just uh, just verbally or in person or what have you, man. Let, let's start as we get this Justin Fields discussion rolling. Let, let's start with the tangible because I, I, I really wanted to get into some of the minutia of the intangible also. But it certainly can't be forgotten just what the what the raw physical talents are of Justin Fields. And you've gotten to see him on the field they're side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder with some of the other immensely talented quarterbacks all around the country around the country through your work with the Elite 11. So give us a, a little synopsis just of how you evaluate Justin Fields, just the raw physical talents he brings to the table. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I, I think just to kind of set the stage, uh, I met Justin at the Elite 11 quarterback competition, and it just ended its 23rd season two days ago. Uh, kind of the who's who of quarterbacks. You look in the NFL, 81% of the quarterbacks that are on rosters have gone through this process. Look at the Heisman, 13 of the last 14 Heisman winners at quarterback went through the process. And every number one draft pick who's been a quarterback in the last 15 years or so has gone through this process. So it's kind of the who's who. So all these young quarterbacks dream of going to this camp. And he was one of those guys. And the way that uh, I've worked over the last couple of years due to spring football is I never go to these regional camps. And our staff goes around to about 10 spots around the country, selects the top 20 quarterbacks out of about 1,000, and then they bring them to the finals. The finals just in the year were on Nike's campus in Beaverton, Oregon. And it was him. Everybody knows this was Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it was Dorian Thompson-Robinson going to come out of the West Coast. It's kind of the who's who of quarterbacks that year. And prior to the camp, we evaluate them as a staff. And it, being the host of this show and a coach for the last 13 years of it, I've seen a lot of guys. And heading into camp, 
Uh, Justin was as highly rated in my brain with how he played on tape than anyone that I've seen. Uh, he's in a tie at the top. It was Jameis Winston, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Those are the three guys coming into Elite 11 that I thought were the best guys I saw. And then coming out of it, uh, I'd say the same exact statement. Those three have always been in a class by themselves for a, for a variety of different reasons. That, that's how I first got introduced to him. And in the midst of that competition, give, give folks a, a bit of a sense for – for what you guys try to put the quarterbacks through throughout the time that you work with them at that at that elite 11 stage because it's not just about hey come out here and and throw the football accurately at a target or heave it downfield as far as you can you really try to in, in whatever ways you guys can come up with simulate the pressure cooker that is being a high level qb yeah man it's, it's really fun because here can justin 6'3, 221 ran a four five one forty at the time was committed to penn state uh, and everybody knew how talented he was as a dual dual sport athlete, right? We, this is a guy that could have probably gone Major League Baseball route if he wanted to as well. And when all these guys show up on campus, it's the first time in their collective lives that they've been on a stage with 19 other alpha males of the same exact position, all competing to be named the MVP. Now, granted, the, all it is is like an award on paper, but they're so highly competitive that every one of these guys wants it. So our job as a staff is, and we've decided over the last probably 15 years or so, is to train them like they're in the NFL. So, excuse me, it's NFL-style playbook. Everything based on the West Coast offense. So timing can be a major factor in their development. Understanding of coverages versus just pure progression reads, which everybody in college, for the most part, uh, they don't have to read coverages. So I'd say probably 80% of offenses don't necessarily read coverage. They just go through their read, and if a receiver is open. And then uh, how to study and how to prepare. And I think from a football standpoint, that's the thing that jumped out to me the most. I would stand behind Justin and Trevor, uh, those two guys specifically, at this camp, and I'd observe how they take notes. I'd observe as they listen to Trent Dilfer, who was the head coach of the Elite 11, or other guys who were installing, like Charlie Fry that year was an offensive coordinator. <clears throat> He's now coaching uh, at a really high level um, in, in the league. And, and to me, everything that I have seen from note-taking to the details to the preparation and then, of course, how we applied it on the field was in the 1% of that limited experience at the Elite 11. So he just had a vibe that he was going to be special. And then you flipped it to off the field, and this is where I think we do it better than anybody in the space, called Beyond the X's and O's. So it's high-performance psychology. It's introducing these quarterbacks to kids fighting cancer to recognize the influence that they have on individuals. It's bringing in individual speakers, whether it's Brenda Tracy or someone like that to talk to them around manhood. It's giving them media training. It's, it's just giving them tools that I think high profile high school athletes need because they're getting labeled as the saviors, as the next one. And it's hard to deal with that unless you have tools. And for Justin, he came from a small town in Harrison, Georgia. So he took all those tools, embodied them, utilized them, and then led his team to win the championship in the seven on seven tournament. Absolutely lit it up. Probably the best single performance we've seen in our 23 years doing this. And the stage just wasn't too big for him. And that's why, of course, he was named the MVP. And I think that's why he thrived at Ohio State. All of those tools, he just kind of at, kept adding to his toolbox. And I think he's going to be thinking he's an absolute star in the NFL. Yogi Roth is a Pac-12 network analyst. He's not only a football analyst, but a coach at the Elite 11, as we're discussing right now. Also a, a filmmaker, a producer, an author. He coached in college at USC under Pete Carroll and has done so many different things in the industry 
in the time since then. He's with me now on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Is there a, a moment or a story that sticks out to you from, from that period of time in Justin Fields' development that, that sort of stood out amongst a, a crew of elite prospects like you're talking about there. But was there a moment that sort of, you know, if he, whether it was adversity, whether it was being the alpha amongst alphas or just something that, that lets you know something kind of unique was within Justin Fields? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys on this stage at some point um, slip or sometimes crumble because they've never been in the environment. And, and Trent and our staff, we, we try to turn it up, as you referenced earlier, as, as hot as possible. Granted, shorts and a T-shirt, right? There's no tackling. There's maybe 2,000 people that are watching from the crowd, you know, overlooking Nike's campus. It's not the environment that is the horseshoe or is major cultural part, let alone the NFL. But for these young men, it's a big deal. And every throw is evaluated. And, and we always tell them the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you look somebody in the eye, the way you clean up your lunch, like all of those things get evaluated. And for Justin, uh, the stage was never too big, and he never acted too big. And I think that is uh, a critical element because they're constantly being told, hey, you're the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country. Hey, you're the number one pro-style quarterback in the country. And most of the time, these kids believe it at 16, 17. Why wouldn't he? It's pretty cool when every website is ranking you as the dude's dude and someone's going to win multiple Heismans and make millions of dollars. But the reality is, is that, those rankings mean zero, as, as you and I have talked on numerous signing days over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, you got to go do it. And he was always able to deal with the praise, but be about the job. And I think when you go to the league, that's a, that's a big thing, right? Can you not shut out distractions, but deal with distractions? And then as a quarterback, recognize that it's not all about me, right? I think too often we call it like the uh, – you know, a, a position that is very individualistic. And we say, yeah, you got to carry the team. And Anthony, I just think that's complete BS. And, and you know, I, my stance on that is that that position is the most dependent position. It has to be connected to its receivers, to its play caller, to the head coach, to the organization now in the national football league. Like it's dependent. And I think Justin has always felt that way. And I think his baseball and multi-sport background really helped him. So Every moment that was about him, because it was an individual quarterback camp, he flipped it to be about the team and dealt with it with incredible fluidity. So I I don't think the transition uh, on the mental side of this thing is going to be very challenging for Justin Fields. That's so cool that you describe that aspect of it, that he, as a guy who who has been sort of, you know, not necessarily anointed, but has earned the, the recognition of being amongst the elite, still flips it to make it about the team. And that's probably a, a part of where some young QBs will struggle in their transition to the National Football League. And, we, you know, the, the Chicago sports fans, the folks who are listening right now, we, we just went through the, the travails of the Mitchell Trubisky tenure with the Chicago Bears at this point. And so folks have seen this franchise trade up to go get a first-round QB and the development end of it you know, sort of fall short, and, and frankly, the performance end of it as well. For Justin, have you seen moments where, you know, if, let's say, the, the Bears offense isn't necessarily always geared towards success here, as, as myself and some others felt like were some of the, the knocks on, on the system that Trubisky was in, I'm curious, have you seen times where he can be the missing link that lifts up those around him, that, that raises the performance of teammates, who, who knows, even instilling additional confidence in coaches around him. Is he someone 
who can, like you love talking about, go beyond the X's and O's. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we did a documentary. It was Tua's year at the Elite 11. We called it Welcome to the It Factory. And to me, it's the most overused, undefinable phrase. He's got the it factor. They have the it factor. So we went around the country and we talked to high-profile head coaches like Pete Carroll and Ron Rivera, high-profile NFL guys like Russell Wilson, um, as well as you know other people in the space. And what we learned and how we defined it is the it factor is when you walk into a room and people feel your presence, dot, 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 and you make those around you better. And that's what he does. Right? That's what he did. And I think to, to give you the snapshot of the opening or the Elite 11 finals, like when they're playing seven on seven the last two days, we also fly in the best in class at every position, the best running backs, the best receivers, the best tight ends, the best DBs, safeties, linebackers, right, in a seven on seven tournament on Nike's campus. And that also brings in a lot of personality. You can imagine the personality from a DB coming out of South Florida and a tight end out of Illinois. Right. It's just di- different backgrounds, different communities, different styles of play. So when you get on that field, like it, it has a lot of egos. And Justin was able to manage that thing like it was easy, man. I mean, he re- and it's not easy, right, because he knew how to connect to people. And I go back to that word connect because I think quarterbacks are often said, again, you're the lone ranger. And you can buy into that. Right? Because you get the praise, you get the credit, you get the dollars, you get the, you know, you and I aren't, aren't talking about anybody else today on the Bears. Right? I'm sure a lot of your radio shows <laughs> based on, you know, that position. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that those playing it need to know and embrace that it's dependent to, uh, on a connection with so many others. And he was able to do that. So he's able to walk in a room and be like, look, I'm the best player here. I know it. I know that I'm the catalyst that makes this thing roll. But I can't do my job unless my left tackle blocks at the center, adjust the protection. If the play is properly called and installed, he's very aware of that. So I, I think he's going to do, I think he's going to do well. Of course, the NFL, you know, better than I do how challenging it is to have consistent success early on at this position, but I think he's got the makeup. And if you need an example on the big stage, just go to the CFP, right? When dude shouldn't have been playing. I go back to this season, Anthony. Would you have flinched if Justin Fields said, I'm opting out? I don't think any of us would. No. No. Yeah, but he said he led the troops. He led the whole mission of the Big Ten. We want to go play. So I I think there's a lot of examples from probably him in small town, uh, USA and Georgia, to uh, the Elite 11, to Columbus, to now in Chicago, where the, the stage and the lights are even brighter, where that that red thread is going to continue to weave its way through his life. Yogi Roth, our guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score is on Twitter at Yogi Roth. And one thing I've, I've even reminded folks of, just even heading into the draft process, where for whatever reason uh, there, there's a bit of an inexplicable uh, fall in the perception of Justin Fields. And, you know, guy still goes just outside the top ten. He's going to be fine financially and beyond. But – one thing I reminded folks of, while hey, I, I saw Trevor Lawrence during All-American Bowl week, I, I agreed wholeheartedly he's the number one prospect in that draft class, but the only individual who could take the field and say, I've been on the same field with Trevor Lawrence multiple times, I, I bested him in high school, and frankly outperformed him twice. You know, Clemson won the game against Ohio State two CFPs ago, and then this past season, Ohio State came out victorious, but... I would argue Justin Fields actually outperformed Trevor Lawrence in each of those games. He's the only guy who can say he's consistently stepped onto the field with Trevor Lawrence and, and had the better 
performance. Is there something within that where I think we both agree Trevor Lawrence is maybe the the better prospect between the two by whatever margin, but Justin Fields seems to ramp his performance up even higher when they've met up. Yeah, he's a gamer, man. I mean, he's an absolute gamer. And I think you go back to his background and, you know, it's a general take, but dude was a shortstop, uh, a pro prospect, right? That's the position that is, you know, usually you're reserved for your best player, right? At every level, whether it's, you know, our kids playing T-ball or high school ball or in, in, you know, the professional ranks. And I just think those traits allow him, of course, when he flipped it over and played quarterback, let's go, you know, wherever, whoever, I think that's always been his mentality. And I'm sure he's got a chip on his shoulder based on where he was drafted. Who, who won't? What I hope happens, because we say this line every year to the quarterbacks at the Elite 11, is stop trying to prove everybody else wrong and just start trying to prove yourself right. I, I hope he's living in that, 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 that camp, of the latter one that I referenced, uh, because he's got so much ability. Uh, but, yeah, man, he, to me, the draft talk around him was – was laughable when people kept talking about how he was slipping and falling in work habits when his head coach would come out and say exactly who he was and exactly what he did. And anyone around him would, would rave about who he was. And for whatever reason, he took on almost like the villain character in the, the lead up to the draft. And, you know, as, as it always works, no one can really even, no one's talking about the draft anymore, right? Now it's about what did you do in OTAs? What do you do in camp? How we need, you know, how we knew in preseason. And then of course, get to the, get to the fall I just think overall, when you look at the Browns' history at this position, I, I'd even go back to obviously Jake Cutler had tremendous success, but the the if factor, the qualities that I think Justin Fields has, forward facing and behind the scenes, I think they're probably as high as anybody who's been drafted by the Bears in a while. You want to talk football, you want to talk quarterback play, you want to talk life in general, you will always enjoy doing it with Yogi Roth. I, I, Man, thank you so much for making this happen, for fitting this into your schedule on on a Monday holiday coming off the 4th of July weekend. But I think folks really got a lot out of hearing you describing Justin Fields and what he was like back as as a youngster coming out of high school, man. Thanks a lot. Anytime. And, hey, anytime I could be on your show, that's a gift. And in addition, when Lewis Johnson's on your show, yeah, man. man, this is a heck of a day for me. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh, that is my guy, Yogi Roth. Worked with Yogi so many times over the years with the Pac-12 Network. And as I described, he's been all over the place producing movies, producing specials, documentaries, writing books, and talking a whole lot of football. He's as passionate about the sport and about the QB play at the position as anyone I've ever been around. Uh, one thing that I'm passionate about also is uh, coming off, as I referenced, the holiday weekend. Some of the great athletes in the history of this city is, is where my head was initially, just knowing Fourth of July was upon us. And then I started texting back and forth with a few folks and had a, a more specific version of how I want to go about its list season anyway and how I want to rank some of the most combustible athletes of this century coming out of the city of Chicago, repping Chicago here on the scores. We'll do that next. Start my countdown of the top 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century. We'll get into that next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It is a Monday coming off of the 4th of July weekend. We are 
taking you through it up until 6 o'clock. I'll be with you here, Anthony Heron on the score. And as I referenced, uh, coming off of the discussion I just had a moment ago with Yogi Roth talking about Bears quarterback Justin Fields, I mean, the, the list I'm about to get into is really the type of list that I don't know, I'll, I'll be surprised if perhaps, you know, a decade from now, Justin Fields isn't on this list. It's certainly the type of list that he will be eligible for that I think would suit his particular set of skills. Um, and, and essentially what it revolves around, and I was actually, I was texting a few friends and, and some coworkers here at the score also, just getting some thoughts on what I just called, and I just kind of left it out there in general without any additional description, the most combustible athletes representing Chicago sports. And, you know, initially I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe we do all time, you know, maybe in the history of the city. And then just after getting a bunch of responses from people, really, most of them were in the last 20 plus years anyway. And, uh, and he's like David Hall kind of said, you know what, maybe it's just best to even kind of pare it down here. And he'd had a specific thought on that. And most of the, the inquiries, most of the entries really came in from this time frame anyway. So I figured, you know what, that's probably a good way to do it. So we're doing the 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century. And by combustible, for me, through my lens, I'm talking about folks who their athleticism, just the raw athleticism they bring to the table, factor that in just as much as their success, their greatness on the field, their productivity out there on the playing surface as well. So not just who are the best players uh, for a Chicago sports team of the last 21 years, but who are the most explosive, the most combustible, who combines their physical gifts with the productivity on the field at a level that very few in this city have in this century. So let's start at number 10 on the list where this individual has been here for just a few seasons. There's been a lot of trade debate about whether or not he should stick with the Bulls, if the Bulls should stick with him, where does he rank amongst other stars in the NBA. He has finally, this past season, gotten the recognition and made his first NBA All-Star game. That individual is Zach Levine. Was a great teammate player when he was with the Pacers. And we talked about it. Just his usage is different. He's so much more comfortable. Another pass. Oh! Oh! Assist from Young. And the hammer from Levine. Don't jump. Uh, You could make a case that me having Zach Levine at number 10 on this list is disrespectful to Zach Levine. Because, I mean, the guy is a slam dunk champion in the National Basketball Association and has continued to morph his game into, and when you're talking combustible, explosive, I'm talking highlight-type moments, and at this point in his career, he's still a young guy in his mid-20s, but at this point in his career, his highlights don't necessarily only center around the dunk anymore. He's become one of the more deadly three-point shooters in the league as well. And so his game has continued to evolve in that phase of the game, expanding his range, expanding his usage, even becoming more of a distributor. And so to me, Zach Levine, one of the 10 most combustible Chicago sports athletes of this century, but he's one of the ones on the list that when you think about starting from the year 2000 coming up until now, there's certainly an opportunity in my mind for Zach Levine to continue working his way up. Let's move forward to number nine. And this individual is a, is a player, is a talent that – no longer competes in this city, hasn't done so in a while here. But while he did, he put together a Hall of Fame resume in a very specific manner for your Chicago Bears. For me, number nine on the list of the 10 most combustible Chicago sports athletes of this century is Devin Hester. Vinatieri on the approach platform, popping here in Miami. It sails to the far side around the eight-yard line to Hester. 
under it. And to the middle with the 15, to the 20, breaks free of the 25, to the 30, to the outside, 40, midfield, 40, 30 of the coach, 20, 15, Hester 5. Oh, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer on the call as Devin Hester opened up the Super Bowl against the Indianapolis Colts with a kick return for a touchdown, man. And and watching that game and really just a few years before that, I remember being there in person. I wasn't at that Super Bowl in person between the Bears and the Colts. But uh, for me, it put me in the mind of when I watched uh, in the, the Orange Bowl where my Iowa Hawkeyes took on the USC Trojans. And in the very first kick return of the game, Iowa, the kick returner, C.J. Johnson, ran a kickback for like 100 yards for a touchdown. I was like, all right, man, this magical season for Iowa football, this storybook end, and they won the Big Ten, shared the Big Ten championship. Here we go. And it was pretty much downhill from there for the Hawkeyes. Now, the entire Super Bowl wasn't downhill from there for the Bears, but that was really the, the main play that got made by the Bears offense, or at least by any points getting put on the board in that Super Bowl. But for Devin Hester, as electrifying as he was throughout his career as a kick returner, really wasn't a lot of other places they could find success for Devin. You know, of course, had the stretch where they tried to pay him as a number one receiver, and that wasn't working so well. So the fact that he didn't necessarily fit in anywhere else it doesn't detract, doesn't deter me from from recognizing the special talent that he was and how combustible Devin Hester was as a kick returner. Just, you know, he's nine instead of higher because part of the reason he may not make the Hall of Fame is because while he may have been the best ever at that one specific gig, I do think that folks will have it stuck in their craw a little bit. That, man, they tried to do some other things with him and none of that ended up going that well. But no slight to Devin Hester one of the 10 most combustible Chicago sports athletes of this century. Let's keep going to a different sport here as we move up the list to number eight. And admittedly, I solicited a bit of additional advice because there's a few different athletes for the Blackhawks that stuck out to me that at least deserved consideration for this list. And again, not just the success individually, their their greatness at their position or for the team and winning the Stanley Cups, but sheer raw athleticism. And when it came down to it, after you know reading some things up and certainly remembering some of the, the Stanley Cup playoff games that I went to and watching the exploits of Duncan Keith, he came in at number eight for me. In on Garrison, stops, hits the trainer. Keith shoots the save, rebound, Keith scores! For Duncan Keith, one of the things as, as a defenseman that really stood out, and I even hit up uh, – I hit up Jay Zawoski about this a little bit, too, because just comparing some of the, the great members of the core uh, for the Blackhawks during their Stanley Cup run, one of the things that stood out with Duncan Keith was his conditioning, was the way that he never needed to leave the ice, was the all-around skill set that he brought to the table, the consistency of his effort out there, and even going back to his time as a Big Ten athlete at Michigan State University, and just you know overall the way that everyone always respected the physical conditioning that he was in. And you could certainly make a case that because of him and his greatness as an individual talent, maybe Duncan Keith could be even higher on this list. But looking overall, I mean, what were some of the highlight moments that were there throughout his career? The game you know, became a little bit less physical, so maybe you didn't see as many of the, the physical highlights that you might have seen with other great defensemen in years past. But the exploits of Duncan Keith were certainly a key cog. And by some folks' estimation, you can maybe even make the case the key cog in the Stanley Cup runs that the Blackhawks had. So Duncan Keith came in at number eight for me 
on this list. Moving up to number seven, an individual who is still active, another guy who's still active right now with a Chicago sports team, and folks are getting a little bit worried, have been a little bit worried that maybe his days are numbered here in the city of Chicago, but when you look at what we've seen on display from Chris Bryant this year with the Cubs, not just the base running, not just the power, but the versatility of position and how effective he is all over the field, I think it goes to show why when you're looking at just this century, why I have Chris Bryant at number seven in this century of Chicago, Chicago's combustible athletes. Well, maybe it's just rosin and sweat. You know, there's nothing illegal about that. Oh, did he get that? Left field back there. And gone. Grand slam, Chris Bryant. We're starting over. That was as high as it was far. And look how fired up KB is. Yeah, he rarely shows emotion. But my goodness, what a big swing in the back. Completely turning the narrative of this ball game. Chris Bryant and having the the size of his frame and being a guy who's worked so hard at the craft in addition to the talent that he brings to the table, he's been one of the most productive baseball players in franchise history, but doing so while in the midst of showcasing just the sheer raw physical talents of an all-around athlete, not just as a baseball player or just a slugger, but a guy who they've been able to put in everywhere all three positions in the outfield and first base and third base. At some point, they may have him catching and pitching too. But Chris Bryant, for what he brings to the table as an athlete, is part of what I think goes a little bit underappreciated. Now, as I've talked about for years here, and you know, I suppose the past month would, would be indicative of some of the case I've made for where I don't see Chris Bryant as a $300 million guy, probably not even a quarter billion dollar guy. But that doesn't take away, in my opinion, from how talented and how respectful I think Chicago sports fans should be of what he's accomplished in this city between being the NL Rookie of the Year and an NL MVP, another All-Star game. Just got named yesterday to his fourth All-Star game in his time with the Chicago Cubs. Who knows? The days may be numbered. Trade deadline at the end of the month here between Chris Bryant and the Cubs, so that may be coming to an end. But that being said, the career that he has put together so far here in Chicago has been one of the most explosive that we have seen from an all-around talent, especially from a baseball perspective in this city. We'll get to number six here before we take a timeout. And this guy is, if I'm not mistaken, he may be the only member of this list that is actually already in his sports hall of fame. This is a player who, in a Chris Bryant sort of fashion, weren't exactly sure what position he was going to play as he came out of the collegiate level. And as he did so, he eventually moved to inside linebacker for the Chicago Bears and did it with as much explosion, with as much athleticism, with as much playmaking as any Bears linebacker we've ever seen. And certainly when you look at this particular century and the greatness that was Brian Erlacher on the football field, if anything, you know, folks may wonder why he's only at number six. It's third down and goal. Rodgers, nowhere to go with it until now, and he's picked. Erlacher. Rodgers in a foot race. Erlacher tripped up. Aaron Rodgers made the tackle. A 39-yard return, and this defense for Chicago just gave the Bears and these fans what they needed. Over 40 sacks, over 20 interceptions, pro football Hall of Fame inductee, you know, 13 seasons, 
as a linebacker for the Bears. Of course, led them to a Super Bowl berth, all decades team, countless Pro Bowls and everything else. Now, what do folks view as one of the shortcomings of Erlacher? For his size, is he like whatever, 6'4", 6'5", like 250, 260, could run like a deer. The sheer physicality of the position, you're hoping the guy's going to take on blocks or knock the big fullback in the chops at the goal line. He was inconsistent with that aspect of it. So to me, explosiveness you know, can come in multiple ways. You want your explosiveness as a linebacker to come through sheer physicality when you're thinking of the history of the black and blue division and, and what it means to be an inside backer for the Bears. But the explosion of this guy as an athlete, I mean, just me watching him on the field, you know, I, I was certainly no, no pro bowler, so I'm standing on NFL sidelines just waiting to check into a game. I'm looking over at what Brian Erlacher is getting done, man. This guy was as explosive an athlete as there was in football for a decade. So no doubt, as combustible as it gets, you know, some of the detractors may agree, and that's part of why I have him at number six as opposed to being in the top five. What I've liked a little bit more, you know, oomph, a little more lead in that pencil on the physical end of things sometimes, sure. But saying he's number six is certainly no shot, no knock on Brian Erlacher. So that's number 10 through number six on my list of the 10 most combustible athletes of this century in the city of Chicago. We'll get into the top five later on as well. But for now, we'll take a time out. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Big Ant Heron. I'm sure the text line is all over this as well. We'll get into that and some other things. Also, some lineups coming out in baseball. Plenty to discuss here on the way to hour number two on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.